Before we get started with the show today, I want to just give a quick shout out to our listeners. Over the last few weeks, it has been incredible to see new listeners all over the world. People in the Netherlands, in Sweden, Croatia. Someone in Croatia is digging the last 10%. So thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to like the show. And don't forget to reach out. Reach out to us on LinkedIn. Reach out to us on thinkmovethrive.com. We'd love to hear from you if you have somebody that you'd like to see on the show. Thank you for your support and for helping us deliver great content. Hey, everybody. We're talking to Bob Hutchins. What an amazing guy. He is a digital marketing and transformation consultant. He's a subject matter expert in consumer psychology, organizational marketing direction. He's a new friend of mine. We have conversations around marketing, messaging, and deeper topics like ambiguous loss and how to manage your digital life. You don't want to miss this incredible conversation. Welcome to The Last 10%. Your host, Dallas Burnett, dives into incredible conversations that will inspire you to finish well and finish strong. Listen as guests share their journeys and valuable advice on living in the last 10%. If you are a leader, a coach, a business owner, or someone looking to level up, you are in the right place. Remember, you can give 90% effort and make it a long way, but it's finding out how to unlock the last 10% that makes all the difference in your life, your relationships, and your work. Now, here's Dallas. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the last 10%. I am Dallas Burnett. I am in Thrive Studios, sitting in my 1905 Koch Brothers barber chair. But more importantly, we have with us today a very special guest, Bob Hutchins. Welcome to the show, Bob. Hey, thanks, Dallas. Great to be here. Yes. So, Bob, you have had an amazing career. And you are a marketing expert. Your marketing company and the one that you've you founded and ran, it's worked with com- with other companies like Disney and Sony and all these other people. You've worked on some incredible films. Tell us a little bit about your story and how you got into doing what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Dallas, you know, my kids call me a digital marketing OG. And <laughs> I, I actually started, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably tell on myself, as far as how old I am, but I started back in the 90s, mid to late 90s in the digital marketing space before the internet. Oh gosh. There was things like Prodigy and there was CompuServe. And these are all things that you use to get online before you just jumped on a browser and typed in www. And in those days, it was really fun. I worked with organizations. I was always fascinated with the technology in the online world. My dad worked in electronics. He worked for the FAA, the government. And, you know, we were the family that moved around a lot. I was born in Panama, lived in Puerto Rico, grew up in Miami. So one of the things that was consistent in my growing up was my dad was always fascinated in tinkering with computers and technology and so we were always the first people in the area and on the block to, to have calculators and the first <laughs> early computers and things like that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that was in my blood, but make a long story short in the early, late nineties, early two thousands moved from South Florida to Nashville, where I live now. And I had a vision for starting a digital marketing agency. So in the early 2000s, that was kind of bleeding edge, and it was right after the dot-bomb era. 
mm. which if you remember that was the internet came in like oh, a storm, late nineties, yeah. early two thousand. And then all of a sudden, you know, billions of dollars were invested, but it was the ideas were too far ahead of the technology that had been developed at that time. Yes. So the things we take for granted, like Amazon to shopping and delivery and, um, downloading things and buying things online. People had those ideas, but the technology wasn't there fast enough to deliver on it. And so everything crashed. And so they yeah. call that the dot bomb era. <laughs> and uh, so I got in shortly after that here in Nashville, focusing on the music business and people that were forward thinking, had a fan base, people that had emails and really started to slowly build a business that went into other forms of entertainment, then various other vertical markets and grew that agency for about 17 years. Oh. And that agency ran from around 2001, 2002 to the end of 2017. After 2017, I took about a year off, Yeah, went and did some consulting, took a two-year contract that just ended with an organiz uh, another agency called 5x5 Five Five Agency here in Nashville. Yeah, And then fast forward to, to, to today, January of 2023, I just launched Human Voice Media, which we can talk more about that. Wow. But in between that time, and we can jump into it, I've done things like a lot of speaking, wrote a few books, taught in the college level, had a had my own personal existential crisis, did a <laughs> TED Talk. Which is great, you know, by the way. I've seen your TED Talks. Very interesting. Use some words that we'll get into today that I'd never heard before. So that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a thousand foot view. So you can jump in anywhere yeah. you want. So tell me your fact, because you're in Nashville, which is like one of my favorite cities on the face of the planet. I love that town. So cool. And so much going on there. It's interesting that you had a career that was, you know, working with some, I'm sure working with some great names. Tell us some of the favorite projects that you had while you were growing that agency in Nashville. What's some things that come to mind? Yeah. You know, just working with small and medium-sized record labels, both in the country music and the Christian world, there was a lot of cool opportunities. And like I said, in the early days, this was before social media. So it was a little bit like the Wild West. If you think the the internet is the Wild West today, imagine in the early 2000s where <laughs> oh, yeah. you could scrape and harvest email addresses, you could <laughs> spam people, all the stuff that... You know, we look at now and go, ooh, we have like regulations and ethics and best practices. Well, there really wasn't any of that back then. And so figuring that out and doing some really cool things that were innovative. But around 2003, maybe early 2004, I got a call from someone in California from Hollywood area and said, look, we know you're doing some really cool things in the digital space. Would you be interested in help us market this film? And I said, well, sure. I haven't done movies, but music and book, it's the same audience. It's yeah. just a different form of media that you're promoting. And they said, well, Mel Gibson is working on this film and he can't get anybody to, to fund it or distribute it. So I think he's going to do it himself. Would you be interested in doing the digital side of it? And I said, well, sure. So that movie was The Passion of the Christ. Oh, my God. And, you know, what we did was handle all the digital online and marketing and the the cell phone, which back then we called it SMS text messaging. Yeah. I guess it's I guess it's clinically still called that or technically is a better word. 
and got millions of views of the trailer. And that movie went on to be, I believe it still holds a record for the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. It's up until the, I don't know, $1.5, $2 billion. Oh my. And so that opened up a, a really fun door for not only nationwide kind of media coverage and interviews on people forget that kind of blew open the doors of not only independent film distribution, but also this kind of faith and family market right. that yes that people were playing in and going whoa what happened here this was not supposed to happen this was a film that you know for many reasons was very controversial and all of that to say we then went on to do similar things for the first disney's version of the lion witch in the wardrobe wow. chronicles of narnia and several films after that and then uh, yeah the rest is kind of history it just opened that experience just really blow open some doors for you in terms of new opportunities because it was just so big. It did. There were several marketers and certainly I'm not taking full credit for the success of the film, but what it did for those 15 or so of us who were part of the marketing team and represented different organizations and different verticals, it provided an opportunity to really have a platform to say, this is how you do word of mouth marketing effectively. And again, this is back in 04. This is really before social media. So it just provided a platform to say, you can connect with niches, mass, the era of mass marketing is quickly coming to an end. And you really have to narrow in and figure out how do I connect individually in mm. niche markets? That's what attracted me to digital marketing. That's what, that was my pitch that I used when I started my digital agency was all of these record labels were going, we're going to put our budget toward print advertising. And so my pitch was to go in and sit down and go, hey, when you put your artist on the front of this XYZ, whatever the magazine is, right? how do you measure success and how do you measure sales? And of course, the response is always, well, we get a blip in our record sales or we sell back then CD sales. Yeah, I said, no, but how do you measure it? And they just looked at me puzzled and I, and this sounds weird, but my pitch was, it sounds weird now, but back then, what if I showed you a way that you could connect directly with the fan bases of your individual artist and your artist can communicate to them, they can communicate back and you could actually measure that engagement, which was email marketing, right? Right. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. And so that, that's the genesis of it. I do love how you, how you yourself and how you developed, you know, conversation and niches to make it more personal and just, and yet you were able to scale that. That's just a really cool, it's just awesome that we can use technology in that way. That's why you're the digital OG, man. And you're the first one that we've ever had on Think Move Thrives. You're the first and only digital OG on Think Move Thrive. I would love for you to talk because there's a lot of listeners that own small and medium-sized businesses. Maybe they're, they're leaders and coaches in large organizations. I would love for you to speak a minute on two things, maybe what is the biggest mistake that you've seen that organizations tend to make as they approach marketing? And maybe on the flip side, what, and I know this is, it's different for every industry, different for, there's a lot of difference, but if there's something that you've seen that people can do that maybe they're not doing, whether it's a habit or something to improve their marketing, what have you seen in those two, the mistake and what they can, what they could do? I think the mistake, the mistake is 
you try to be all things to all people. Mm. And I think we're finally getting out of this kind of mass marketing mindset, which is you put on a certain face and you go to the public and you try to sell them. And people today don't want to be sold. They don't want to, they can smell when you're not authentic. They can smell mm. when you're not being hu truly human. Mm. And I think that's the biggest mistake is people are scared to be honest. Right. And I think if you really look at the things that move us internally and the things that we talk about and the things that we remember, it's not the value or how great a brand is or how accomplished they are and what they've done or how this could change your life in some sort of temporary way. If you go where the greatest commercials are and the greatest ads, and that would be in our modern day Super Bowls, you'll see that the last five, six, seven years, they've all shifted toward telling beautiful human stories. Right. And almost like the brands are sponsors of the stories. Mm. The stories are not about the brands themselves. It's the dad saying, Hey daughter, you're off to college now. You're my little girl. I love you. I'm so proud to be your dad. Oh, by the way, she's driving a Toyota off, <laughs> off, you know, down the road that the dad drove when he was, it's that human emotional connection that all dads and families and daughters and whatever can connect with, right? It's not, Hey, look at this killer Toyota and look at the tires and the gas mileage. And no, it's the human story. So I think the mistake is not going that direction. And so I think the advantage is, you know, I have this kind of four part system that I've been working on called creating a clean human mirror that other people can see their own reflection. I think that's effective marketing. What you can do is make sure you relate to people in a very human, authentic way, and then make sure that they can see other people reflecting as well. So that's the ratings and reviews and the social proof aspect of it. So the real easy thing for you could do that 10% is when you're thinking about marketing strategy, don't go too wide, go very niche, create a mirror that people can see their own reflection using your product or service. Mm. And that's the way to think about it. So it's being human, it's being relevant and it's be giving them also the ability to see other people that have used your product or service. Ah, I love that. That is great advice. Great advice. If you're listening to the show, you need to take notes. And if you're driving your car, stop and write that down because that is solid. That is solid. Thank you for sharing that. Now, sure. it's interesting that you talk about the progression of marketing because I was reading some actually recently about how marketing shifted back after World War II and how it was before that it seemed to be more of like functional because it was more of an agrarian society and it was more like this is last longer, this is better, faster, stronger kind of thing. And then after World War II, when we went into kind of more consumerism, it shifted to more of a desire. You need this. And now you're almost saying that if there's a fundamental shift maybe occurring, at least it seems like, where there's there needs, it's almost maybe not needs-based, but maybe not desire, but maybe more just authentic. And that's just a, that's fascinating that we've seen that trend take place and more personalized. One of the things that's interesting to me, because you've written a lot of books 
very good best-selling author and just very interesting, very interested in some of your work. You've also given a TED Talk. I'd love to talk a little mm-hmm. bit about the TED Talk because I think there's some valuable information. You're, and we can, we can piggyback that on some of the books and some of the other work that you're doing. But your TED Talk, you use some terms that, that are not in normal conversation. Now, I was aware of one of them, the tragic optimism, because I've read Viktor Frankl. But the other one was not so clear. But you've got this thing going where you're a marketing, you're a digital OG. And yet you have books that have, you know, our digital soul. And you talk about like finally human. And so it's this kind of this strange like, how does that coexist? So I want to get into that, but I think we can talk. Let's talk about your TED Talk and your message on that TED Talk, and then we can piggyback into some of your writings around marketing. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. The TED Talk title is From Ambiguous Loss to Tragic Optimism, Our Journey Through Collective Grief. And I got the opportunity here to do a TEDx, which is a local regional version of the big giant TEDs that they do under the same brand. And as part of that process, you apply and you begin to go through the, you know, did you make it? Did you not? Is it, does it fit within the theme of this local or regional, whatever it may be? And so I submitted an idea. It was probably something to do with my marketing or communication background. And I didn't hear anything. And I reached out to the person who was putting this on and I said, Hey, no big deal. I understand if you have a lot of submissions and but I'm just curious, you know, did, what did you think about it? Did it not work for you? And I remember her saying a few things and she said, you know, take another stab. I want to, and it, it was getting back to this thing of human and relevancy. And uh, as I, I started thinking about my own life and I, and this was right in the midst of slash at the tail end of the pandemic, because the Ted talk, I did it in March of 2022 came out in May online. Um, I came up with this topic of ambiguous loss because it had a double meaning. It was my own personal journey of some things I had been through, Mm -hmm. but it was also, as I was thinking deeply about how the pandemic had changed the society in some really interesting ways, good, bad, and different. I looked at my family. We were all going through something collectively as the human race, actually. Yes. And, and, and then I started to put that in context of tragic optimism, which we can talk about that a little more, but I submitted that back to her and she said, wow, this is great. And so I was accepted. And so to put it in a nutshell, the idea of ambiguous loss is when we think of loss and grief, we think of those things that are obvious, right? I lost a loved one going through loss of a job loss of a child, like this, these things that are, that we all have pains and losses that we go through and we've all experienced grief. But then there's this thing that we experienced collectively in the pandemic, which was the loss of the way things used to be, the loss of the freedoms to gather with people whenever we wanted to go to the store we wanted and everybody was going why do i feel the blahs and i'm not sleeping and i'm having weird dreams and i have everybody's got the blues and you know that during that time there was weird vibes right yeah well what i realized was some losses and there is a psychologist called pauline boss who originally coined the term and wrote a book about it 
back in the 70s, there's some losses that don't have closure. And yeah. there's some losses that never have closure and some losses that are hard to grasp and wrap your hands or your head or your hands around. Ambiguous loss comes in where maybe you have a parent who has dementia or Alzheimer's. They're physically with you, but they're emotionally and mentally no longer with you. Right. That's ambiguous loss, right? Or yeah. you have a loved one who struggling with addiction, right? You love them and you know the person they can be and were and are, but during this time, they're not that person and that's ambiguous loss. And that, that was a lot for me in my own personal journey too. I went through some things. Yeah. I think too, I mean, people experience, I mean, you can look at that on a macro basis. I mean, I remember 9-11 and where I was and just had a, it was just, an, it was just surreal, but then it was like, it's over and you start the cleanup process, but it's like, is it? Cause everything kind of shifted and everybody, it was just like this, it was just a, I don't know. It's just like a, just, you could feel it. It was palpable, but there was no closure. And just because you go to war or whatever, it's, it was just like, there was just something, you know, like you said, just lost. Another thing I think of on the personal side is if you've been in business for any amount of time. I remember there was this one venture that we were into that just did, it just didn't go well. It just did not work out. We had been a part of a, a venture startup and we had clear path forward. We had a great team and then it just came off the rails about three years in, right after we went into profitability. And it was just, it wasn't anything that the business was great. And yet there was personality with the investors and the founder. It was just unbelievable that it all happened. And when you go through that and you come out and there's a loss of relationships there and, and you have a loss of a team and then you look at it. And I just, I think I was talking to my wife. I was like, I just feel like I'm grieving the loss of an opportunity. Like this was this had so much potential and then it just evaporated. So I love that yeah. term. I've never heard it. This, your Ted talk was the first time I heard that term, but when it, when you said it, I was just like, Ooh, that's truth. I like that. Yeah. It, and I knew I had, I was onto something because what you just did is how most people respond to it. All you have to do is say the word and maybe one or two sentences and everybody's, Oh, I connect deeply with that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really that human connection that says, you know, sometimes we want to wrap things up in a pretty bow and we've been told, you know, there's quote closure and you get over things. And the reality is sometimes, and you never do, and that's okay too. And we need to acknowledge that, that we're all grieving. Even now we're still not okay. You know, three years into the way the world has changed that, you know, look at our kids' test scores yeah, across the country, right. across the world. You know, look at people's mental health. Right. And it leads to that second thing, which is tragic optimism, which Viktor Frankl, if you don't know the book, Man's Search for Meaning, I challenge everyone to go pick it up. It's a short read, but it's life-changing. Absolutely. He was a psychiatrist that actually went through a Nazi concentration camp and documented and out of that said this, in the midst of horrible, difficult times, human beings have the opportunity to do something with that, that is promoting human flourishing. So what he saw was in the concentration camps, the people that survived, many of them were the ones that didn't give up on life, but actually 
were playing violins in the midst of starvation and death because of the beauty and the need for human engagement mm. and art and the people that were going around feeding others and giving up their own food, that's tragic optimism. And so loss, pain, struggle always leads us to that opportunity. And that's what I think is the other side of the coin of the pandemic is, man, through all this terrible thing and millions of people dying and struggle and mental health we've all dealt with, we have opportunities and technology that have grown out of it, ways of doing work, hybrid work, remote work, and we're still kind of figuring it out, but it's rapidly changed us. And I, you could argue for many ways for better. We're having conversations about mental health and prioritizing it, all those things. So that's how ambiguous loss or loss leads to tragic optimism. I think that's so fundamental. And I know we're talking about marketing, but when you jump into that conversation and the idea with Viktor Frankl and the concentration camps, it just gets, it just strips everything away and it just has a tendency to just get down to the fundamentals. And so when you think about going through COVID and, and it was a, just a, such a spirit of fear, all the whole world, you just don't know, you, you watch it, what's going on in other countries, but then you see things like you were saying that out of that, it's amazing how it spawns so many nurses and doctors that were working around the clock and shifts and people, I was working with a company at the time that they would help airflow in, in hospitals. So they, so the hospital would say, we need to change a whole wing of the hospital into a COVID floor. And these guys would work like seven days a week for weeks on end to make sure that the airflow and the air pressures were reconfigured in the whole hospital. And there's like a team of teams that's doing this. And they would have never done that in that kind of speed and with that kind of precision. But everybody just, it was like, there was no question. Nobody complained about overtime. Nobody, it was just like, this is the work. And this is what's needed and we're going to do it. And so just seeing people perform in those ways and step up and rise to that in spite of through, through that is very inspiring. I think just like Victor Frankl. So thank you for sharing the Ted talk sure. that, that message. Cause I think it does resonate. So if you, how would you encourage someone if they are feeling like they are experiencing going through, cause there's a lot of situations about am ambiguous loss. It could be personal. Like you mentioned, a family member with dementia or someone with addiction problems. It could be global, like a global pandemic. How does someone deal with or move through ambiguous loss? Yeah, obviously that's a big question. And it's very situational, individual to the person. I think I would say this is that pain and struggle will come and it's not your enemy. That's the thing that I think as Americans many time, as we who live in the West, and for me personally growing up, I was always taught that hard times, difficult times, the metaphor of darkness, struggle was a bad thing. You know, even in our language, we talk about light and darkness. We talk about at the end of your life, you're going to go toward the light. There's this thing that we built into ourselves that, that dark struggle, death, all of these things are negative. And yes, they are. And these are the doorways through transformation that we all must go through. And so I think when you're in that, it's not easy, but no opportunities for tragic optimism will present itself. 
if, and again, I'm not comparing and I know that whatever you're going through, it's real to you. But if a man like Viktor Frankl and others can find beauty and hope in meaning in, this, in, in the midst of a Nazi concentration camp, we also will have similar opportunities in our own dark nights of the soul, mm. in our own struggles, whether it's your own or with a family member or others. Look for those opportunities because they will come. There will always be hope. You, it's never the end for you. There's always a new day. And you, when you reach out and you engage and choose the things that tragic optimism provides, you find some really beautiful transformations. And then you look back and usually it's on the other side. You say, darkness, struggle, pain is not my enemy. Actually, it was the transformational thing that I go through. And I'll just say this, and I don't want to belabor it, but this is the metaphor for all humanity, right? You've sure. got, you've got Jesus dying and rising from the dead and going in a tomb. And then that metaphor for resurrection, you have, you have things that happen in the darkness that cannot happen in the light mm. Our our dreaming certain animals that only come out and reproduce and things like that in dark times. Mm. So there's lots of life that takes place and lots of transformation. So that's what I would say is lean into that. You must go through it. You can't go around it and over it. I think that is such an encouraging word. Thank you for sharing that. And when you're speaking about that, it really brings it brings me back to just the whole point of the last 10%. And you are speaking right down the middle. One of the things we like talking about is different mindsets that, that people that live in the last 10% that put in the extra effort would have. And this, I think, is right down, right down the middle. It's on point because it's what's hopeful is if you're going through, which we all do, that's the, we all have these moments of ambiguous loss. But if you're going through that acutely, the hope is that if you're seeing if your perspective, if the glass that you're looking through is full of blues, just got one color, it's depressing and down what your words were, just very encouraging because we have it in ourselves to open our eyes and see a little bit more full picture. And the full picture is that there are also good things. There is also joy. There's also beauty. There's also these other things in that experience and some that we may not even experience unless we go through that. So I think it's, if you're in that, it's not, sometimes I think people hear you talk about these things and they're going through something really difficult and they're like, good grief, if you knew what I was going through. But I think at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the day, it's not that you're saying, you're not saying, well, you just need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and get on with it. You're not saying that at all. You're saying that there's hope, which is what we're looking for. When we're going through right. that experience, we're looking for hope. And what you're saying is there is hope. And you can see it. If yeah. you can see it in a Nazi concentration camp when everything is stripped away, then there's hopeful things that good will come out of this thing. So and you're not great. alone. That's yeah. the other thing I would say is you're never, never alone. You see, these times are temptations where our minds say, I'm the only one who's gone through this. No one else understands. I'm by mm. myself. Mm. If I let people know, then they will reject me in some way. They won't understand. And these are the times to reach out and to be honest and authentic because you're never, ever alone. And when you share your own pain, I guarantee you there is someone who has been through the same thing and felt the same way. 
And to your point, the best thing you can do for someone who is going through something like this mm. is to simply say, you're right, it sucks, and leave mm. it at that. Oh man, um, that's great. And you don't have to you don't have to offer, oh, it's gonna get better. Oh, here's the good things. Oh, most of the time, Dallas, we're uncomfortable with our own uncomfortableness mm. when someone else shares it. And so we want to try to flip it and get them to coming out of it. And rather the best thing we can do is I'm really sorry. That sucks. It must hurt a lot. Yeah. That's what someone needs to hear. They don't need to hear a positive word or you're going to get through it or think on the bright side you're or whatever it's, it sucks. I'm a human too. I know your pain. I'm here for you. That's I, it. That's awesome. And, you know, I'm going to take a time and say a message to those people who've downloaded the one-on-one -on -one coaching system app and they're actively engaged in coaching monthly, their team members at work. Now, what he just said was it, when someone, because in these coaching sessions, a lot of times you're going to ask a question, something like this is going to come up. They're going to be open and authentic because you're building trust with them every month. And what happens is, and we've had this, I've actually had conversations with coaches. They're like, what in the world? I asked this question and this person just melted down and started crying. I'm not used to this. What's going on at work? And we're not asking anybody to be a counselor. We're not asking you to solve their problems. We're just asking you to listen. And we're asking you to understand and say, I am sorry. That is, that's rough. And then do what you can in terms of, you know, helping them move. It's not about you. It's just about letting them walk through it and being there with them and listen to it. So I think your advice and counsel is good for all listeners. But if you are doing one-on-ones every month, you better really listen to what Bob just said because he's not just a digital OG. He's also an organizational psychologist. And, and so I want to get into some of that with your books because I think you bring sure. a lot of that with your books. There's two that stood out and we'll talk a little bit about them right now. Tell us how it's not in odds with your career because it, it feels like you are the digital guru, the digital marketing guru, and yet you have books that are on Amazon that would maybe not be something that a digital marketing guru would necessarily say or write about. You've got books like Finally Human and also the latest one that we can talk about, Our Digital Soul. So tell us a little bit about that and what your messages are in those works. Yeah, thanks for that. Well, first of all, I would like to say that, yeah, you mentioned my training. I went back during COVID and got a master's degree in behavioral and organizational psychology. And the reason I did that, Dallas, is, and I'm going to answer your question about the books and it'll make more sense, is that all through my career, everything I shared with you earlier around digital marketing, it began to dawn on me early on that every marketer, every agency owner, everybody that serves in the communication, marketing, and advertising, and I'm going to drop something on you right here, is... <laughs> Everyone who does that is a psychologist. You are a behavioral psychologist for your clients. And every day you work in behavioral psychology. Mm. And what I mean by that is the goal of marketing, good marketing, good advertising, and even you can expand that to communication, is to get whoever you're communicating to, your customer, your supporter, whoever it may be, to respond and do something, change their behavior. 
And so clients come to you and go, you're the expert. I need you to change their behavior and get them to engage, purchase, support, give up information, whatever it may be, the conversion objective. And so I, I learned early on, like, I better learn about psychology of behavior, colors, words. We're doing this all the time in marketing and advertising. We're testing different things, demographics, psychographics. What do certain types of generations like and others respond to? So I said, gosh, there's a lot of psychology in this. I went back and got my behavioral and organizational psychology degree. And then in context of my books, that interest and awareness bleed through. Hmm. And so one of my, I've written four books. I wrote a book about marketing, faith-based marketing. I wrote a book early on about the recommendation age, which was my view of digital and social. And then I wrote a book called Finally Human about the positive uses and how to use digital marketing to be more human and engage, as we talked earlier. And then my most recent book that came out just a couple of months ago is Our Digital Soul. And the tagline underneath it is Our Digital Soul, Collective Anxiety, Media Trauma, and a Path Toward Recovery. And in the context of understanding how digital marketing and communication is psychological at its core, yes, I have to also be honest as a digital marketer to go, oh, this technology that we've created is changing us as human beings and affecting us mm. for good, bad, and indifferent. And if you don't understand that, and I don't think you can be truly honest, both to yourself and to the people that you're talking to. And so for me, I'm pushing those boundaries of human flourishing to go, I'm not just a marketer and I'm not just I want to do it in a human ethical way for the purposes of leaving the world better than I found it. That's what I want people to say about me when I'm dead and gone in 50 years. And they look back and they like, well, yeah, he was a great marketer and he sold a lot of products. Maybe he thought about that more deeply. Maybe he helped in some little tiny way to push things forward and change things. Mm. And so all of that to say that it's not it's not opposite. It's not, it's not counterintuitive. Well, it is counterintuitive, but who better to write a book about the effects of manipulation, of change, of psychological anxiety that, that the screen life can cause than someone who's been behind it, maybe causing it yeah. for part of my career. So my co-author is a licensed marriage and family therapist, Jenny Black. And so together we create, I believe we give an interesting perspective on it. So I don't know if that answered your question, but that's yeah, where I'm. No, uh, it's really great. And there's some things about the book that really strike me just straight off out of the introduction. You have this list of questions that you can go through and just say, you know, are you know, just asking great insightful questions about how we interact with the digital space. And when you're talking about that, it, it, it does, th I think it strikes a chord because I think there's becoming more awareness, or at least I hope, people like you and like others that are starting to say, wait a minute, maybe we need, we need to think about this a little bit more because we've made, maybe we've designed something that uh, is so powerful we, we didn't maybe understand it. One of the things that I've realized, and I'll tell you a story about the coaching system, and this is what really shaped the way I think more about technology and the power of technology. I think the big idea is we're very distracted people now. We're just... 
we're consumed with, I mean, it's just everywhere, you know, you can't escape it. And so there's so many things that's pulling at our attention that we tend to be fragmented. Our days are fragmented and they're not focused because we're so distracted. And I'll tell you this, the story we had, we were demoing this coaching system at a company and it had never been done before. We created it from scratch, worked it out over the course of a year and we're finally ready to roll it out. And we bring in a couple guys and there was this project manager. Now this company was like 92% male. And so they grunted at each other. It's 92% male owned by a female. Hey, you know, whatever works. But these guys were like technicians and engineers and things like that. We brought in one of the project managers, two of the project managers and the ops manager was like, Hey, you know, share this new thing. We're going to be rolling out. Just take them through it. You know, show them what's coming. So we sit down and we do that. And the guys just sit there. Then I ask them a few questions and they just sit there. They give me a total blank stare. No feedback whatsoever. Well, that was like a Thursday afternoon. They leave. They're off Friday. The ops manager comes back Monday and knocks on the door of my office. He says, but man, listen, I just got to tell you something. This is the most mind blowing thing ever. He's like, one of those project managers left and went home. And on the way home, he just didn't listen to the radio or anything like that. He started thinking. And so he goes through this thought exercise of all these questions. He comes back and he says, I just want to let y'all know over the weekend, I'm committed to quit smoking. I'm no longer a smoker. And he's like, what? Mm. And he's like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm having a baby. And I got to thinking about this and doing this. And I got to thinking, I want to take my family on vacation. I looked at how much I'm spending on booze and tobacco. And it's like, if I just quit that, I can get all this that I want. I can be a great dad, not smell like smoke. And he had smoked for like 15 years. He quit cold turkey. And it was just because he took 10 minutes to think and just not mm. be distracted and think, who am I? What do I want? Where am I going? And what I want that to look like. And it wasn't rocket science. And I'm not Tony Robbins. And this whole system is not built like that. He was a powder keg ready to go off. But what I realized in that moment is we get up in the morning. We look at the news. We put on the radio. We listen to whatever going to work. We get there. We have a bajillion emails we go through. We get home. We binge out on Netflix all night. We start the next day. And at no time do we think, what am I doing? And where am I going? And what am I being? And That sound means it's time to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. If you lead an organization or a team, one of the biggest challenges you face is developing your people. ThinkMove Thrive is here to help you on your journey. We've developed a coaching system that integrates into your team or organization to consistently develop your employees, build trust, gain valuable feedback, and increase accountability. Leadership retreats and summits are great. We even build those custom for our clients. But they're only part of the solution because they lack consistency. Our one-on-one coaching app is the missing piece in your employee development program. We help new leaders get to know their teams. We help technical managers be more relational. And we help ensure that your relational rock stars stay organized. We developed the system for a client, and it was so successful. We created the app to help more organizations develop their people, build trust, engagement, and you guessed it, performance. For more information, go to thinkmovethrive.com to learn more about the one-on-one coaching system and start developing your team today. Back to the show. So to your point, I love how you approach that because the questions in the beginning of our digital soul just set the stage for that. I love that. So tell us more about that. Yeah, it's a book that is chock full of research and information it can it, it has some pretty deep roots but also some very accessible roots like you said at the beginning 
And I think the takeaway in context of what you just said about that individual, it's a beautiful story, but it also speaks to the power of we, and we talk about this in the book, we've lost the art and power of being bored. Mm. And what I mean by that is we are uncomfortable, we become uncomfortable with our own thoughts because the digital world has sucks and fills those up. Mm. Why? Because we are the product. We're the product. When you go to online, whether it's Netflix, whether it's social media, whether it's Google, the things that we engage in constantly, Instagram, whatever, we are the product. They make money off our attention, right? The more attention that you spend watching, clicking YouTube videos, the more that they sell ads because it's eyeballs that they monetize. Right. So it's, you have a huge industry that it's to their advantage to not let you have any of your own attention, boredom, anything else, because that attention is valuable to them. So here's some real, a real practical thing that I tell people. When you're in line getting coffee at Starbucks or waiting to pick your kids up after school, look around, you'll see everybody immediately pick up their phone because no one wants to stand there and look around and be bored and not be on, not be the one that's on their phone. Mm. Practice being bored, pay for your coffee, wait in line or wait in line and do not take out your phone. Just look around and think. The power of boredom is when you're, it's the purpose of it is your brain is using that time to re-energize re and to process and to be creative and to solve problems in your subconscious. That's what boredom is. That's the value of boredom. You know, when you and I were growing up, and again, we're going to sound like old dudes, but <laughs> we went outside and we played yes. and how many times did you go, oh, I'm so bored. <laughs> And you and your friend were sitting on the couch looking at each other. Oh, what do you want to do? I don't know. Let's go build a fort That's or right. let's go ride our bikes. Or, hey, I think that football game, well, it doesn't come on for another hour. We allowed ourselves because we didn't have any other option. 100%. But when you're not bored, you can't be fully creative. You can't mm. process. You can't zero in. You can't do the things that come from the human soul because you never give yourself that opportunity. So I would say in a small way today, practice being bored. Don't take out your phone. I know it's hard and it feels awkward, but just do it for five minutes. And another trick, another advice, when you're sitting at a coffee shop or you're having a meeting with someone and they go, oh, just a second, hold on. I got to take this call or gonna... don't take out yours. Mm. Just sit there and wait for them. Look around. Take, so take a few <sighs> deep breaths. That's so good Just, because I'm t I'm totally guilty of that. Now that you say that, I mean I'm I am so guilty because it's like socially acceptable at that point if you're having a conversation with someone if they pick up reflex. their phone it's like, ooh they looked at there so now it's okay if I'm I disengage from this conversation I'm going ahead and check my email or check the text or whatever you're doing that is so true and it's so good I love that I love that so listen if you're listening to the last ten percent. 
Put your dang phone down. That's I'm going to say it more forcefully than Don't pick it up if you don't have to. That's awesome. There's a quote that you have in the book that says, the cost of mass media traumatization is that everyone becomes the victim of each and every trauma simultaneously. When you say that, what do you mean? Because that's a bold quote. So Yeah, I will say it like this, that historically, everybody gets their turn at stress, struggle, trauma. If you lived in a neighborhood or a community, everybody took their turn in life. So Joe lost his wife. So we all bring, you know, casserole over or flowers or we visit. Bill or Sally lost her job as at the hospital or on and on it goes. And so everybody takes turns. It was in a car wreck or whatever. Everybody takes turns with their own struggles and traumas and events. And then everybody else gets to be the helper or the empathizer, the sympathizer. In the world we live in, we all simultaneously become the center of everything that happens in our lives so that we're draining the empathy and the opportunity for everyone else to go, Dallas, I'm really sorry you're struggling with that. How can we help you and come around you? The screen life, and we're all plugged in, we're all experiencing simultaneous traumas and events at the same time. Let me give you, let me give you a, a study that, that hopefully will illustrate this. The Boston Marathon bombing, remember a few years right. back at the yes. Boston Marathon, a bomb goes off. Mm-hmm. You know, a bunch of people were, a few people were killed, a bunch of people were injured. Well, they did a study shortly after that. I think the study was in 2014. I, we talk about it in our book. And they took a few couple thousand people. Half of them were actually at the event. The other half witnessed it on media, specifically screens. And they said, we want to study the effects of this event, the stress and the ongoing long-term effects on the psyche of the individuals. The results were... People online and on media that weren't present had more higher levels of effects of stress and long-term than the people who were actually there. Good gracious. And oh the, in the logic behind that is, well, how is that possible? Yeah. Well, here it, is, here it is. When you're present at something that is stressful, traumatic, whatever, your body physiologically has to react to that. So let's use the example of the Boston Marathon bombing. That go that happens, a bomb goes off, your body reacts in several ways. You scream, you run, you go hide under a table, mm-hmm. maybe you call 911, you go help the people that are injured. Some way there's a response in that fight or flight response of your parasympathetic nervous system. Sure. Uh, you see this in animals, Dallas, where, you know, you're watching a documentary, the lion's chasing the, the gazelle, gazelle gets away, goes, hides under a bush and it moves, it shakes for a while. It moves its legs like it's running. And after a few minutes, it gets up and it saunters away. That's the way that your body gets stress and traumas out. Hmm. Now think of the people who witnessed it from many different angles over and over this is our world. Mm. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. Swipe. Mm. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. Swipe. Mm. And your brain doesn't know the difference. It's going, 
the input through the eyes is going, this is horrible. Mm. This is traumatic. This is, and our bodies, our physiology never has a chance to engage, to release it, to work it out. Can't get um, away. It we, can't get away. It's the gazelle that can't get away. So, yeah. So back to the quote of the book is we all become the centers of the universe with these things rather than, you know, allowing ourselves to really process this as we're meant to process it. Man, that's really amazing. I haven't thought about that in, in that way before. So that's a really great point in the fact that we just, we see so much trauma and yet we have no ability to deal with it in a way that we would naturally deal with it if we were in the actual trauma itself. And so, yeah, that, and of course, that will have a psychological just, impact. Yeah. Yeah. They aren't just big things, Dallas, of, you know, I talk about a bombing or an ISIS beheading or those are obviously, wow, that's crazy traumatic for, especially for young people yes. and older people. But what, think about this. Think about, you've just gone through a horrible divorce and you get on Instagram and for four hours a day, all you do is seeing your friends and connections in amazingly perfect marriages and mm. families. What yeah. do you think that does to you? Uh. Those are the micro things that we don't think about, but it's just hours and hours of day and a reality that's not real. And then we wonder why we can't sleep. We wonder mm. why we're depressed. We wonder why we don't have any energy. These are things that we talk about in the book. Oh, that is so needed. Thank you for writing that because that is such a huge topic. And you can tell with, I mean, you've just hit so many points on that you've exposed about issues that we've had. And I think it's just really important. We talk a lot about in the last 10% about being intentional and being intentional mm -hmm. with what, what we take in and what we do. And we're all about setting goals or and going after those things. But one of the things that I think few people you take a minute to think about and build awareness around is how intentional are you with your digital life? How intentional are you with your phone or how often you engage in social media? And then when you engage in social media, how you do that in a way that actually feeds your soul versus eats it. And I'll here's a coaching principle, Dallas, okay. real quick. Before okay. We move to the next thing. If you don't have boundaries in your online life, you will not have boundaries in your real life. Because how you do anything is how you do everything. Oh, I love that. I love that. All right, we're going to end on we're going to end on the quote uh, with that quote. We're going to end the book. You need to go and buy the book Our Digital Soul Bob Hutchins. Check it out. He's on Amazon. You need to go buy that book if you have a phone, which I know you all do. Go buy the book. And let's finish out today. I just wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about Human Voice Media and what you're doing there, and and share with our listeners what what that's all about. Yeah. At, just as I said, everything we do as marketers and agency people is around behavioral psychology. I also had an awareness a few months ago, actually the past year or so I've been thinking about this. The other thing that, that we are, we are content creators. We create media. So if you're creating an app for coaching or you're doing this podcast or I'm creating ads or I'm building websites on and on it goes At the end of the day, it's content. And so I believe the consultants of the future, the agencies of the future need to see themselves less as service providers, but actually as media creators 
And I think the shift is more toward becoming, seeing yourself as producers. And so for me, I am building human voice media, which really the foundations are everything that we've talked about on, on this episode. But the goal of creating assets, uh, whether it's my writings, my books, my consulting, my online courses that I'm in the process, my collaboration with other people, which I'm doing a lot more on, it is really, that's my IP. And that's, those are the things that I can duplicate and offer to the world is the continual creation of content and mm -hmm. of media. Human voice media exists as an umbrella for all of those things that promote human flourishing at the intersection of technology and psychology, et cetera. Oh, wow. Now, can, where can people find more information out about the human voice media? Yeah, humanvoicemedia.com right now is just a splash page. As I said, this just started. That will continue to build itself out. But collaboration over competition, human-driven, data-informed, those are all things that, that are our values in yeah. Human Voice Media. Wonderful. Well, check it out, guys. Check out humanvoicemedia.com and Bob Hutchins. Now, one thing before we go that we always ask our guests on the show is if they have anybody that they would like to hear on the last 10%. So if there's someone that's floating around that, you know, you may know them, you may not know them. We've had some people, you know, say NFL stars. We've had other people say astronauts. And it's just been all, it's been all over the map. Is there anybody that comes to mind when you think about who you would like to hear be a guest on the last 10%? You know, I'm a big Adam Grant fan. He's an organizational psychologist as well, but his most recent book, Think Again, anything that he puts out, I would love to have a conversation with him and or hear you interview mm -hmm. him. Really great thinker and very relevant to today. So I'd love to have that, see Adam Grant on the last 10%. We're going to reach out to Adam and be like, listen, Bob Hutchins said <laughs> that you got to be on the show. So and that's he'll say, who? <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Bob. It, it, one last thing. Yeah. I do a podcast as well. It's called oh. The Human Voice with Bob Hutchins. So. Oh, wonderful. Okay, The Human Voice with Bob Hutchins. Okay, well, we'll check that out. We'll put that link in the show notes as well. You guys check out Bob Hutchins and his podcast, Human Voice, Our Digital Soul, the book, and uh, and just support Bob and all he does. Bob, this has been an absolute pleasure today to have you on the show. I think we've covered a lot of great topics, and you just are a you just have a lot of wisdom, and I appreciate you sharing some of that with us on the last 10% today. Thank you, Dallas. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for joining us today on The Last 10%. We hope you found today's content engaging and encouraging. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to hear the latest episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us so others will join our community. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. This podcast can be found globally in any podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Subscribe today. Plus, visit our website, join our email list, and discover resources and info for your business and team at thinkmovethrive.com. Thanks again for listening to The Last 10%.